Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Brand new series called Before Kings. Look at somebody and say, Before Kings. And when we're talking about Before Kings, we're not talking about like before kings, before kings came. We're talking about being before kings, standing before kings. And really this, the, 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 the value that we have here at Overflow Church is, the, is one of the values is honor, that we honor up, we honor down, and we honor all around. And so when it, and what we'll, we'll find and what we're seeing last week, we talked about Joseph, is that many times God will put his people in a position to demonstrate honor. And so we carry this fragrance, right? It says in 2 Corinthians 2.15, which we talked about last week, it says our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. So our lives are fragrant, but, but one of the things that that fragrance smells like is honor. And so what we're, what we're doing is we're doing a study through several, scripture, uh, through several characters throughout the scriptures, specifically in the Old Testament, uh, about those that God placed in certain places, and they brought the culture of honor everywhere they were at. And so it's been exciting. And we, we, we talked last week a little bit about leadership. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here, um, then go back and catch that, because it's pretty important to get that to, as we move forward. And we talked about Joseph, which is always a fun story to, to, if you know the story, to go back and listen to. So we're really infusing the atmosphere with influence through the culture of honor. Are y'all tracking with that? And so this week, I want to talk about a, a famous Bible character and veggie tale character, right, <laughs> named Esther. Everybody say Esther. Now, Esther is an interesting book, and Esther takes place uh, during, during uh, Israel's history after. Now, we're going to talk about Daniel starting next week. We'll spend a couple of weeks talking about Daniel, but uh, Daniel's very key in, in, in the system of God's system of honor. But with, with, uh, this is actually takes place after Daniel. Now, what happened is, is the Jews were taken under captivity by the Babylonians. The Babylonians was this huge empire of the day, kind of like Rome would be later. And they basically, the Jews were back under, not under their control. They weren't really a sovereign nation. They were under the control of the Babylonians. Well, the Persians came in and they took the Jews from the Babylonians. So they took over the the Babylonians. And so the Persians are ruling. This is, you know, about the mid four, 400s BC and during this time. And so the Jews again are in exile now because Babylon has happened and all this kind of stuff. Some Jews were actually living back in Jerusalem, but, but all the things that needed to be established weren't there to be established for them to function as a nation. So this is kind of the broken down state that Israel's in and their future is contingent upon a couple of the moments that we're about to see uh, happen. In fact, it, the reason why Esther is so significant is because if Esther doesn't play her part, and she doesn't recognize her significance, the Jewish people would not just go into physical exile, they could actually go into non-existence. And we know if the Jews were non-existent, that Jesus could never come from the Jews and rescue humanity. And so her role in this story is absolutely critical. So this is where they're at. It's in this town called Susa. The year's about 478 BC, and the king is named uh, Xerxes. Everybody say Xerxes. Now, some translations give him a different name. Xerxes is not easy to say, but it's easier to say than the other name. And so here they are. And King Xerxes is what you'll see as you read through Esther. I would encourage you to read through Esther this week. What we find about him is he's kind of a drunkard. He likes to party. He likes to throw these big parties and he's, he's a drunk. He gets drunk a lot of times. And how many know that being sober-minded is important, right? If you want to make good decisions in your life, then don't get drunk. That, that would be one point for you. I know some of you are like, I just have a little wine for my stomach. Well, make sure it's just a little bit, right? Make sure that you can still be sober-minded if you feel that you're permitted to do that. So King Xerxes has this party, that lasts, this festival that lasts like six months, and he is drunk, as you're going to see throughout the book, several times. And so he calls in his, his wife, uh, Vashti, and she is obviously the, the queen of Persia, beautiful woman. And he's basically wanting her to come out and be eye candy 
for all the people. He wants to bring her in to, to entertain the men. Now, I, I don't know necessarily what that means specifically, but we do know that he was wanting to kind of show her off. And he's kind of flexing a little bit, right? Look at my wife. And she refuses to come. So he's like, well, then forget it. <laughs> We're going to find a new queen. So he basically just fires her as queen. Come on. <laughs> Which is crazy. And he begins this search. Now, I understand this is, this is, these are political positions. They're not just like husband and wife of the monarchy. And they're just, you know, these, out, obviously they're not outstanding citizens, right? And, but they are in charge and her role is important. So he basically removes her from her position and he begins this search for a new queen. And it's crazy because the criteria that he places. And so he's like, I want you guys to go out and find the most beautiful women in Persia and bring them here. And so it's kind of like one of the, if, if it was done today, it would be like, you know, Persia's got talent. It would be the bachelorette is exactly what it would be. So here's the king, Persia's most, uh, you know, most desirable bachelor, most eligible bachelor, probably not very desirable, but however, he does have a lot of power. So that's a little bit of attra attractive to some women. So they go out and they, they start searching the land for all these virgins, all these pure women who could come and be the next queen. And he has the power to do it. So he exercises this decree. They go out and they find all these women. And they find this young virgin orphan girl named Hadassah, which we know as Esther. And Esther, the scripture says that, that she's, she's beautiful in form. <laughs> it says that, that she was attractive in form and she was beautiful. So she's like beauty on top of beauty. And she's, she's pure, but... Esther is a Jew. Now he's looking for Persian women, but he finds a Jew. Come on. And Esther doesn't let it be known that she's, she's a Jew. She keeps it hidden. Honor, honor God in the hidden. Come on. And so really, it's, a, it's a, a rags to riches story. It really is. I mean, her, she's got a cousin. His name's Mordecai. And he raises her like, like a father, but almost like a big brother because he's given her advice. He's helping her all throughout this story. And so they discover her. And once they discover her, they, they see that she's beautiful. Then they have all this stuff that they begin to go through, these preparations to prepare these women to go and try out for The Bachelor. Right? So they go through all these beauty treatments, all this stuff. Look at this. Esther... Chapter two, verse 12, it says, before a young woman can turn and go to the king, Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil and myrrh, and six with perfumes, come on, something fragrant, and cosmetics. So, y'all excited about that. Last week, I talked about going to Bed Bath & Beyond looking for stuff and how awkward that is in a man. Can you imagine a man going and shopping in a, in a cosmetic store? That would, that would be pretty weird too. I've, I've, I've spent my day in Sally's beauty supplies and just, you know, just kind of, I don't know what I'm doing. So fit the bill. So six months. So the, the first point is this honor preparation. Listen, you want to bring a culture of honor where you're at honor preparation. See, we don't honor preparation in our culture. We honor results. We honor opportunities. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But here's Esther. If she is going to rise to the occasion, she has to spend a year preparing. She's got to spend a year looking good. Come on. Well, the Lord sees the heart. The Lord absolutely sees the heart. But people don't. People see the presentation. What does your presentation look like? We used, to have a, we used to have a saying that we used to say, dress, dress for the job that you want. Are you preparing for the position you want? I'm getting ahead of myself. So Esther carries this fragrance of preparation. How many of you know that small opportunities open doors for big ones? And so she has a small opportunity, a small opportunity to be on the roster for this contest, this beauty contest. Are you prepared 
Beloved, when opportunity comes, this is what I've found. Most people don't want opportunities. They want handouts. They want handouts. And then we go, well, I'm just waiting on God's blessing. I think oftentimes God's blessing is waiting on you to be ready for it. Sometimes you're not in the blessing of God because you haven't prepared yourself for the blessing. See, kingdom economics is this, faithful over little, ruler over much. Listen, if you can't give God 12 months of your life, what makes you think, what makes you think he's going to give you a ministry? What makes you think he's going to give you a raise? Get out of your mind the worldly concepts. You're in the kingdom of God. And some of you, some of you can't even, you know, and I, I'm with you on this. Some of us, we think a 40-day fast is the most ridiculous thing you could ever ask someone to do. I am amazed by how little people want to pay for promotion. In the sense that we, were, we, don't, we want it to just be because you love me, because you like it. Listen, we're not talking about the love of God. God loves you just like you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. He accepts you like you are. But people won't. Kings won't. If Esther would have showed up looking like an orphan, she would not have become the queen. And some of you show up at work acting like an orphan. Begging, hoping somebody will give you a job. So you start acting like the employee that should be paid that much. And some of you go, oh, I'm getting $8 an hour, so I'm going to work like, you're, like I'm going to get paid $8 an hour. You'll always get $8 an hour. You start acting like you're worth $50 an hour, you'll probably start Getting $50 an hour? Because what I've found is that if I can make myself indisposable, people will do whatever it takes to keep me around. And some of you have made yourself disposable because you're working for a minimum wage. And I don't mean whatever the government decides that is. You don't, we said this last week, you don't work for money. You work for God. And so the other thing is like, I, I, see, I see people, and, and I'm not singling anybody out here. I did youth ministry for a long time. You know, they get about 18, 19 years old. They're thinking, I want a spouse. And when I get a spouse, and listen, you're wanting like this glamorous, well put together, full of character person to be a spouse, but you're not living the kind of person, being the kind of person that a well put together, full of character spouse would choose. Let's just be real. Are you preparing yourself? Are you being prepared for your opportunities? Well, when the opportunity comes, then I'll rise to the occasion. No, you won't, because you won't have the opportunity. Another thing is, is many times, many times the opportunities are coming and you keep saying no because they're not the ideal opportunity. You know what I learned a long time ago? I just take every opportunity and I make it ideal. That's what I do, because that's what kings do. I'll just rule over whatever you let me rule over and I'll make it better. And then I'll become indispensable. Are you tracking Listen, you are worthy. Come on. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not here to smash your ego, but I'm also not here to feed it. We, we, I want you to be confident before the Lord. Absolutely. We're not talking about performing for God. We're talking about if you want to bring a culture of honor, you've got to be an honorable person. You've got to be prepared. If you're in a band or the band and you didn't practice all week and you show up, you think you're ever going to get to lead the band? No. Preparation. And, and let me just say this also about preparation. Don't wait for, for, for something that you'll be passionate about. Bring your passion. You know what I'm passionate about? I'm passionate about Jesus. So I can serve Jesus in any capacity. And I can be passionate about anything. Because I'm a passionate person. And this is the thing you, you do. Listen, I've seen people be like, well, if I could just do, you know, being early on in ministry, the goal was always full-time ministry. I'm so discouraging that in the younger generation. The goal is not full-time ministry. 
I worked my way out of full-time ministry. Now I do full-time everything. <laughs> I've grown my capacity. I don't have a problem with full-time ministry, but I remember being young. If I could just work at a church and have a desk and have, a, you know, a nine-to-five job where I go in and check in and check out. And, I, and what I've found is that people that are passionate for ministry, once that, once you attach a job to it and start attaching money to it, the passion goes down. And it could be like that, whatever your dream job is. When, you're, when your dream becomes your job, you lose passion for it. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And so I've got to be a person of passion, not just longing for a position of passion. You okay? I'm trying to help you. All right. So God loves you like you are, but if you want to be in a place of influence or honor, then, you, then you've got to put your growth on. You hear me? You're just going to have to grow up. You're just going to have to grow into the opportunities. And some of the opportunities are huge and you've got big shoes to fill. So fill them. <laughs> and if you can't fill them completely, then grow into them. So it says this as we continue our story. So here's Esther. She does all these treatments. She gets in. And then in verse 17, two, chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. Why? Because she was prepared. And she won his favor and, the appro and, and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So she becomes queen because of her preparation. Because she honored preparation. Now, Mordecai, her cousin, which we haven't talked a lot about today, Mordecai is significant in history and significant for Esther, significant in this story. He's, a, he's her, her spiritual father, her mentor, if you will. He's raised her, and he is a, he is a Jew. He is a God-fearing man, and he's, he's, he would sit at the city gates, and we don't know what he is talking about, but this is kind of the public square. And they would go and they'd sit at the city gates and he overhears some, some people, some men talking about assassinating the king. This is all when Esther is, is being established as queen when she's taken the throne. And he hears about this and he reports it to Esther. He's like, listen, I heard about an assassination attempt. Now this would not benefit Mordecai. It would actually be kind of good if the king died for the Jewish people, right? It'd be good for this nation to, to be under turmoil. So maybe the Jews could get out. But he doesn't, he does what's right. He doesn't do what benefits. So he's like, this could cost this guy's life. So he tells Esther, Esther go and tells this king. And, and all that he gets from it is he gets, he gets that account written down in a book. That's all that happens for now. And during this time, the villain arises. The, the book of Esther is so great. There's been movies and veggie tales and all the things. So this villain arises and his name is Haman. And Haman becomes the second most important person, even above Esther, in the kingdom. And Mordecai, and he, and he exercises these, these rules that would say, hey, listen, you've got to basically bow down and worship me when I walk by. And so that's what would happen in Persia. Persia, here would come Haman. Haman would walk by and the people would bow down. They'd worship him, but not Mordecai. Because Mordecai lived by this code called God's law. He lived by this standard, right? He had a standard in his life. And in that standard, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have any idols. So he's like, heck no. Heck no, techno. I'm not going to bow down to no idols. And so this infuriates Haman. Now, Haman is, is demonic. He's the villain. And get this. If you will study the heritage of Haman, he's actually not Persian either. He's a Canaanite. And Canaanites are known as the, Jew, as the enemies of the Jews. And so here's Haman, who, who not only targets Mordecai, but he actually puts a target on all the Jews. The Canaanites always had a plan to wipe out the Jews. It was just, they were the, the big enemy. Enemy number one, right? And, and Haman is a picture of, of Satan. He's a, he's a picture of pride. And he's a picture of the, 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 uh, the, the destruction 
of God's people. This is his agenda. His agenda is to destroy God's people. This is what we're seeing with the Taliban right now, all that. What is, their number one target is Christians. Pray for the persecuted church. Because there is a demonic spirit, the same spirit that possessed Haman is possessing the Taliban. I believe that. It's not the spirit of Haman. It's the spirit that got on Haman. Maybe it's the spirit of Haman. I don't know. I'm not in a name in spirits, but. So it says this, Esther 3, verse 8. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the providences of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. This is important. They're different. Their customs are different from those of all other people. They do not obey the king's laws. And we're going to talk a little bit about civil disobedience next week. I think it'll be next week. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. So if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. So he issues this decree. Destroy the Jews. They, they roll some dice. They set a date based upon that. And they are going to put the Jews into extinction. This is Haman's plan. Demonic. What was it that he hated about Mordecai? He hated his values. He hated his heritage. He hated where he came from. Come on, does this sound like a lot of what's going on? He hated the things he stood for. And because he hated those things, he had an agenda to wipe out God's people. So number two, number one, we honor preparation. Number two, we honor heritage and values. Heritage and values. Understand this, most of the Jewish tradition was oral. They didn't have printing presses. It would have been easy to, to, to find their, their documents and destroy them. So the, 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 the preservation of God's people was critical for his plan on the earth. God had to have his people on the earth to, to declare to, to coming generations the, the prophecies, the law, God's standard, God's nature, all those things, they were critical. It was critical for the Jews to be on the planet. Beloved, it is critical for Christians to be on the planet. It is critical for Christians to be in the church in America. And you can talk about the American church, and I've had enough of it. You can just, are there things that we need to course correct? Absolutely. No question about it. However, we have got to start honoring our heritage. We've got to start honoring our values. Because what we're seeing right now is the culture hates the Christian worldview, just like Haman. So they're coming against all the things that we stand for. Come on. I'm saying right now in this hour, we're seeing it. Thank God I live in Texas. But we're seeing Christian values under attack. And this is our tendency sometimes as Christians. We, well, we'll, just, kinda, we'll just kinda be compliant. Compliance can be a virtue until that compliant goes against your God-given responsibilities. And there are Christian values that are under attack right now. Our Christian worldview is under attack right now like, it, like it's never been in America. I won't say that, that that's for other nations, but specifically for America. And you're an American. You might not like that. I know there's this big movement right now. I'm anti-American. But listen, I'm not endorsing all the things that America's done. We've done a lot of jacked up stuff. However, our heritage is based in Judeo-Christian values. We're not talking about the people. We're talking about the documents. And I'm not a constitution. I'm not, I'm not getting political. I'm saying there is a heritage of values and honor that we have carried that we are losing. And you, you mark my words, beloved. If we don't get back to some of the morality, this nation is doomed. And it's being doomed right now. We're talking about just morality because morality preserves a nation. I'm not being political. I've talked about a party. They're all messed up. But the world's in this place where they're saying what's up is down. 
What's forwards is backwards. What's wrong is right. They're, they're taking our language. I call it hijacking. So they take words like love that they know nothing about and they use it against Christians. How do you, you don't even know God. How do you know what love is? You're talking about purity? You don't even know what purity is. You think you can sleep around with 50 different people and still be pure? You think you can be in bed with someone that isn't your spouse and still be pure? Because your language is right? Because you post, if you put the right things on Twitter? What about the pure in heart? They'll see God. All this virtue signaling, what are they doing? They're hijacking our language in order to destroy us. It's a demonic influence, a sign to divide and confuse. It's all it is. Let me read this to you. We'll move on. Individualism, individualism and personal responsibility are important. Right? Absolutely. Critical. This is part of your Western mindset. Individualism, right? This is, this is not an Eastern mindset. This is a Western mindset. Individualism, personal responsibility. Yes, you've got to have that. It all starts, listen, it all starts a personal responsibility. No question. I believe Jesus taught this. But also there's a bigger picture. As citizens of God's family, there is a level of honor that we live at to preserve God's people, his standard, and his values. We need to start waving the banner of Christian values. Culture is hijacking our terms and trying to twist truth against us. Historically, the church has been on the wrong side of some things, and we must be careful that, we, that when we get on the right side of the issues, that we don't get on the wrong side of the dominant demonic ideologies. And this is what's happening, is that we, we are taking things where the church is messed up and we're buying in to the demonic ideology, and it's a Trojan horse. And so now you've got churches that are, that they're, they're like talking about, you know, all these moral issues. Oh, it's okay. Just be who you are. Listen, the, the gospel says that you're not good enough in your morality, that you are broken. This is very, God, listen, God doesn't have a real high view of human morality. Yeah, I know that you think, oh, we're all just good people. This is not, this is, this is Christianity. This is Bible 101. Humans are broken and fallen. That's the problem. However, Jesus is the solution. Jesus alone. That's the gospel. That's what the Bible teaches. So don't, listen, don't. We, we know that broken clocks are, are right twice a day. But that doesn't mean you buy that clock and put it on your wall. And some of you are buying the clock and reading the books and buying into the ideology. You're not in the scriptures. And you're letting the world and demonic spirits influence. Come on, this is okay today. You're allowing the demonic spirit, the new age spirit, the spirit of Haman to come in and radicalize you against God's church. And against God's value and against God's word. And it's all saying, what is said in the garden, did God really say? Did God really say? That doesn't seem like the kind of God that I want to serve. Then don't serve him. But if you're going to serve him, serve him. Y'all okay? So, get this in the book of Esther. That's not fun. But it's good. Honor preparation. Honor heritage and values. So, this is the deal. I want you to read through the book of Esther this week. And what you're going to find is you're never going to find God mentioned. Isn't it interesting that one of the most important moments in human history, God is not mentioned. It's crazy. So some people have said, well, we don't want, we don't want the book of Esther. Listen, God isn't mentioned but his fingerprints are all over it. His providence is all over it. His, his faithful activity is all over the book of Esther. So in the book of Esther, God is not mentioned by name, but represented by values. This is where we see God show up. We see God show up when Mordecai says, I will not bow. We see God show up when Esther says, if I die, I die. This is when we see God show up. We see it show up in his people. See, see, he may not be present or mentioned. He might not be mentioned in, in the book of Esther, but he is present. He's present in his people. You know where God is present today? You look around the world and you say, man, what is happening? Where is God? 
Where is God in Haiti? Where is God in Afghanistan? Where is God in America? Where is God in COVID? Where is he? He's in his people. That's where he is. And he's in his people that are living according to his standards. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 20. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are the representatives of Christ. You smell like Jesus. And to the perishing, it stinks. But to those that are being renewed, it's a beautiful, fragrant smell. God is making his appeal through us. You're an ambassador. See, you also one day was an orphan. (laughs) You were an orphan. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those that were under the law, that they might receive the full rights as adopted sons and daughters. You've been adopted into royalty. You Listen, you weren't adopted into acceptance. You were adopted into royalty, just like Esther. Y'all okay? Check this out. So live like it. Live like royalty. Live like God's royalty. So listen, I, I am, I'm so troubled by Christians, how they live, quote unquote Christians, how they live sometimes. I'm like, I can't tell any difference between you and all my pagan friends I follow on Facebook. Your, your posts look the same. Your language looks the same. Your activity, your check-ins, they all look the same. What is different? What is different? Well, it's acceptable. You, you can talk about what's acceptable all day long. I'm talking about what makes you different than your unbelieving friends. What, what shows that you're a royal son, a royal daughter of God? What reveals your royalty? Your values do. The things that you value. You should, you should have a different steady diet of what you're taking in. Ephesians 5. Man, I'm just preaching today, Pastor Nate. All right. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm just laying it down because I love you. You you guys know that. Ephesians 5. So be careful how you live. Not careless, not independent, not do whatever you want to do. Be careful how you live. Are you careful with how you live? Are you careful of the way that you talk? Are you careful of the way that you you gossip about your boss whenever he's not in the room? Are you careful in the way that you treat your spouse? Are you careful in the way that you love your kids? Be careful in the way that you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Making the most of every opportunity in these evil days. That's important. The New King James says this, redeeming the time because the days are evil. How do we redeem these evil times? How do we redeem all the junk that's happening in the world? How do we redeem it? By being careful about the way that we live. By representing God in a godly manner. By allowing Christ to be lived out in my life. Not just jumping on every social bandwagon that the media is asking you to jump on. But loving the person that's across the table. Loving the person that's across across the room. Forgiving the person that sins against you. And more than any of that, pointing people to the gospel. Listen, you're not going to love anybody into the kingdom. I know you think you can, but that's not the way this works. People come into the kingdom by the proclamation of the gospel. Are you preaching the gospel in the way that you live? You don't let nobody, look look through the scriptures, nobody got loved into the kingdom. You say, well, nobody can get argued into the kingdom. It happened in the book of Acts, all over the book of Acts. Arguing from a good posture of heart, not being like angry and not like fighting. Nobody was fought into the kingdom, but they were one. Are you winsome? Are you wise? That's how you redeem the time. How do, how do we navigate in Babylon? How do we navigate in Persia? How do we navigate in America? By being careful, by living wise, by seizing God's heart in the moment. Some of y'all living from tweet to tweet. <laughs> like, come on, you've got, we got to get on, on this page. He says this, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Am I connected to his heart that I can know what God wants me to do in the moment? Listen, if you will get familiar with the scriptures, you'll know what to do. You'll have the answers for the challenges. But we're so biblically illiterate that we don't know God's heart. Well, if I, I'm just praying to know God's heart. Dude, pray that, press in, but get in the word. Because your heart will deceive you. 
Your feelings will deceive you. Your empathy will deceive you. There's, there's things that I've been empathetic about that I shouldn't have been empathetic about. And all it did is made me tired. Listen, I don't think the answer is empathy. I think the answer is the gospel. With a compassionate, tender, soft heart. Come on, not arrogant, not blow horns and signs and God hates and none of that. Those are wrong. And I would say that that's not properly representative of the church in general. I don't think most of the church isn't like that. And you know that. But it's easy to point at those extreme cases and say that's the way Christians are. But typically that's not the way Christians are. You know this. It's unfair. So he tells us to be moral, to be wise, to be strategic, to be intentional, and to do God's will. So here it is. They're known for their values. So then what happens is because this declaration was made for God's people is Mordecai goes to Esther and they, de- they begin to plan. How can we rescue God's people? I mean, this, this decree has been issued. The king signed it. It's gonna happen. All of God's people are gonna die. So Mordecai finds out about the, the decree. He rants. <laughs> he throws this big fit. He prays and he fasts. Come on, you can rant a little bit <laughs> to the right people. It's good, babe. But the most significant thing you can do is pray and fast. So he and Esther develop a plan to reverse the decree. And he talks to Esther about it, and she's resistant. We think, oh, Esther's, oh, she's so rich. She's not ready. You know why? Because if the queen goes and talks to the king, she could die. Under Persian rule, if she went to the king without him calling her and he goes in and he decides he didn't want to talk to her that day, kill her. Imagine being married to someone like that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, babe, I'm playing. I'm I'm playing Xbox. (laughs) Right? Right in the middle of Code of War Armor, whatever the game is called. I don't know. What is it? Code of... Call of Duty warm, warm, arm. I don't know. I'm so culturally, you'll all right. <laughs> ben, not only banish you, die. I mean, this is the way it was. If she went in and he extended her scepter, then she could touch it and he would accept her. So she knew that if, if she went in and the time is urgent, because there's a date set for all of God's people to die. She knows that if she goes before the king, she could die. The the quick point is this, is honor advice. Here's something real practical. Listen, there is nothing more infuriating to me as not just a pastor, but as a friend, as a father, as as whatever. It was when someone comes to me and they go, hey, pastor, or friend, or bro, or whatever, I need your advice. And I'm like, well, here it is, man. And it's good advice. They're like, yeah, that's really good. And then they go into the opposite. Like, don't even ask. And usually everybody's giving them the same advice. People, people, people don't really usually want advice, by the way. They want endorsement. That's usually what they want. But alignment influences assignment. Alignment influences assignment. Who are you aligning with? Who is giving you information? Who is giving you advice? Are you taking it from a godly worldview or are you taking it from a worldly worldview? Are you getting all your cues from some jacked up pagan who has no biblical basis for their opinions or views? Alignment influences assignment. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. We were having a men's group last night and Jeff said, that he, told his, he told his sons, he said, he said, you can learn two ways. You can learn through life or you can learn through listening. I was like, oh, that's a good word right there. I'll use that in my message. No, I didn't write it down, but I remember right now. So she could die. So this is what happens. Esther chapter four, verse 14. Y'all okay? 
For if you remain silent at this time, this is Mordecai talking to Esther. Deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but you have come into the royal position for such a time as this. Maybe God is in it. Maybe God's got you at the right place at the right time. Maybe we can trust God's providence and see God's providence even when he's not mentioned and know that I'm in the right place and in the right time. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink her these days, day or night. She's afraid. She's like, you guys got to pray because I know if I go before the king and I don't have favor, I'm dead. And then all our, not just my hopes and my life ends, but everyone's does. Every person of significant dies. And, and my attendants will fast for you. And when this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it is against the law, even though I shouldn't do it, I will go to the king. And this is what she says. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. So she approaches the king and she asks for favor. I'm going to rush through this. And she's like, listen, let's have a meeting. She approaches the king. He's like, yeah, come on. Yes, praise the Lord. I'm alive. She tells the king, she said, can we, can we have a banquet? I want to have a banquet for you and Haman. Can, can Haman come? Yeah, so Haman's there. Even if he wasn't invited, he would have been there. Come on. You don't, have to, you don't always have to invite the demonic. Sometimes they just show up. And so here's Haman. Haman shows up. The king shows up, and she's in there, and she says, hey, guys, I just wanted to see if your schedules are available tomorrow night. I would like to have a banquet. And they're like, okay. So they go the next night. They have this banquet. Everybody gets drunk. Like always, Haman's drunk. The King Xerxes is drunk. They, they have this big party. And so Haman is walking out of the party and he sees Mordecai. And Mordecai again doesn't bow. And he says, you know what? I hate, I hate Mordecai. In fact, I want you to erect a 75-foot spear from the ground. Some translations say gallows. He wasn't gonna be hung by his neck. He was gonna be hung on a spear. He's gonna be hung on a post. A stake. 75 foot. He said, I want everybody to see it. Build this stake. Because when it comes time to kill him, we're going to put him on that stake. So he orders his men to do that. And then the king goes home and he lays down in his bed and he can't sleep. So he's like, well, somebody come in and read me a bedtime story. So one of his attendants come in and they start reading him the chronicles of the king. And whenever he hears this being read, he hears of this story of these two guys that were going to assassinate the king. And a man said, hey, you shouldn't assassinate the king. You shouldn't, you shouldn't assassinate. The king's going to be assassinated. He gets the word to him, basically warns the king of his assassination. And then he says, listen, find that person. Who is that person? They said, the person's Mordecai. So he wakes up the next morning, first order of business. He's supposed to have a, a meeting that night. This is the second banquet. The first banquet led to a second, the third, third meeting. It's just crazy. All these meetings they're having. Diplomats politicians. This is what they do. Meeting me. Let's get along with me. It's confusing. And so the king goes to bed that night. It's after the first meeting. He has his dream, all this stuff. He doesn't have a dream. He just has a thing read to him. Wakes up the next morning and he says, you know what I want you to do? He calls in Haman and he's like, hey, what would you want to do to honor someone? He said, well, I'd want to, and he's thinking he's talking about him. He's like, yeah, oh, I think he's just honor him. Honor him real good. Take him around town on a royal horse. He's like, all right, Mordecai saved my life. So what I want you to do is I want you, Mordecai, whom he hates, I want you to put him on a horse and march him around town. So he does that. And then that night, can you imagine that night at the banquet, how awkward that is? And Esther's there and she's with the king. She's with Haman. She's in this place, and she's there, and she goes, King, I haven't told you this yet, but I'm a Jew. And if you kill all the Jews, you're going to have to kill me because I'm a Jew. Would you please reverse the decree? Which was a lengthy process, if you continue reading through the story. And she says, and Haman just had gallows built for Mordecai, just had a stake 
erected for Mordecai. And you know what the king does? He says, we're going to work on the decree. We're going to cancel the decree. And he said, I want you to take Cayman, and I want you to hang him on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. Throw him on. I'm sorry, Haman to be died, to die in the place of Mordecai. So in the end of the story, we see that God's people are preserved and Mordecai's promoted to the position that Haman had. He now has the influence. God's people have the influence. Why? Number four, because they honored significance. I'm gonna finish up, listen. The word honor simply means this, to treat as weighty, to treat as weighty. Beloved, you're so significant. You're so significant. We have this saying that we say, it's my time, right? You heard that? It's my time. This was Esther's time for such a time as this. God, maybe, maybe God placed you here, Esther, for such a time as this. Maybe this is your moment. It's me time. No. This wasn't her time. It's God's time. It's just her opportunity to step in the middle of God's timeline and continue God's story. See, I believe this. I believe there are people that will never get rescued if you don't step into God's timeline. I think there's people that will never receive their healing because you didn't pray for them. I believe there are people that will, that will die one day and they will go to hell if you don't share the gospel with them. I truly believe that because I believe that you were significant enough that God placed you in his timeline. See, your significance is not, it's not found in, in how much money you're getting paid or how many initials are before your name or how good looking your spouse is. I know it would be easy for Pastor Leslie to think that she's significant because how good looking her spouse is. But your significance is not rooted in any human accomplishment. So your significant, your significance is found in your segment of God's timeline. You want to be significant? Seize this moment as God's moment. And get this, there are risks involved. I mean, Jesus promises in this world you will have trouble. Let me remind you that most of the disciples died martyrs. You might die. If I die, I die has to be your mantra. It can't be I'm willing to risk it if, I, if it doesn't cost me my life. No, it's everything. And the reason why this, the statement that she makes is so powerful, if I die, I die, is because she is a significant player in God's plan. Because if God's people don't continue, if the Jewish people don't continue, Jesus never shows up. Following Jesus is risky. In this moment, Esther makes a statement, if I die, I die. If I die, I die. That is her moment of sacrifice. She died in that moment. Come on, part of her died in that moment. Her will died in that moment. She died to her self-preservation. Beloved, are you willing to die for God's significance? Are you willing to die for your big plan for a bigger plan? Are you willing to die for maybe your dreams that you've established, the pride that you've established? Are you willing to die to those things to take up God's time, to take up God's, God's plan, God's dreams? See, doing what's right is often risky. We got all this like cancel culture, all this drama going on. If you don't say the right thing, someone's gonna cancel you, someone's gonna delete you, all this. Saying what's right is risky. It might cost you your voice. It might cost you your quote unquote influence. 
But our statement in this time needs to be, if I die, I die. I'm surrendered. My life is no longer, I've been crucified with Christ. My, it is no longer I that live, but he that lives within me. That is the mantra of my life. It's not about Josh Brown. It's not about my accomplishments. It's not about how much money I have in the bank. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him and his kingdom being advanced. And in this moment, Esther meets destiny. This is why she was here for this time. And it takes courage. It's not easy. It's not for the weak. We've, we've kind of bought into this easy beliefism. Just raise your hand. Nobody looking around. Nobody walking an aisle. Go ahead and keep all your sin and follow Jesus. That is not the gospel. Just accept him into your little heart. Where do we get this? So Jesus has a moment where he said something similar, where he's about to die. And he's in this place of prayer, like Golgotha, the place of the skull. <laughs> and he knows he's about to suffer. And he goes to the Father and he says, tell you today that Jesus for a moment really didn't want to do it. He, but Jesus didn't risk it all. He gave it all. <laughs> he didn't risk it all. He gave it all. But he did make a risk in the sense that he said, you know what? Not everybody's going to accept this. Some will scoff. Some will ignore. Some will reject. I know that, Father. Let this cup please pass. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Your will. This moment in human history, Jesus is on the cross. Jesus is on a stake. Jesus is hanging. And the powers of Haman, the powers of the devil are destroyed because Jesus had in his mind, if I die, stand with me. Lord, we're so grateful.